Well, hello. <laughs> oh, this again. <laughs> Every week it's the same. Well, hello. Uh, hello. What about just good morning, Lee? Yeah, right. It's not <laughs> 7.30, mate. Um, do you know what makes me more nervous than anything else in the world? I was going to say... No, no. Actually, yeah. look, that's an exaggeration, but there is a sense of genuine fear that strikes me when a professional journalistic colleague of mine writes a novel and oh. says, would you have a look at it? Oh, yeah. Do you know why? Because... Yeah. Journalists don't always uh, do a great job of writing novels, I mean, like, right? I mean, yeah. and you know, but, but I bet we all think that we've got a novel in us, present know, company included. It's, it's the most pernicious state of affairs, <laughs> yeah, totally. right? And also, I mean, I imagine if you are writing a novel and you're a journalist, you think, well, publishers will think, well, this person can certainly write. So yeah, sure, interested in taking a look at your novel. But then, what if it's terrible? Yeah. Anyway, but look. Um, and I remember when I first was asked to have a look at Trent Dalton's first novel, I thought, oh, please, please, baby Jesus, let this be okay. <laughs> when I read it, I'm like, nah, you'll be right, mate. <laughs> but so last year, Jacqueline Maley from the Sydney Morning Herald, whom I love and revere and um, and for whom I'm mistaken. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah, whenever we're on Insiders, people oh. are like, oh, which is very flattering for me, horrifying for her, I imagine. <laughs> so anyway, she said, oh, crap, you know, I've written this novel. I'm like, oh, amazing. <laughs> and then um, the publisher said, oh, you know, would you have a have a read of it? I'm like, of course. Anyway, with sweet relief, it's great. Oh, good. And I'm, it's, I come it's, three chapters in. I haven't re- I haven't gotten far into it, but I'm enjoying it so far. Well, and one of the um, look, there's a couple of things I like about this novel. One is, I mean, Jack has like very bravely made the principal character a journalist in Sydney for a Sydney newspaper who's a single mum of a little girl. And I'm like, Jack, where's this going? So I did enjoy uh, as the character undergoes these sorts of twists and turns and reveals, I quite enjoyed um, trying to work out who was who. She says that it's all made up. Um, so, but the, so the storyline is that this mysteriously not named Jacqueline Susie character, who's a journo, she's cracked this big story um, and it's a story that you kind of recognise the bones of when you read the book. Um, And uh, then she realises, you know, the effect that she's had on various lives by breaking this story, um, which is a legitimately fantastic story, but she gets kind of caught up in this kind of terrible tussle and the, I guess spiritual question that occupies um, many journalists which is okay I'm exposing somebody else's life but like my own life is unexamined right so this sort of essential hypocrisy of um right of journalism so um but the the beautiful thing about it and it's kind of like a side story I suppose is uh the principal and this is my favorite thing about the book actually was the principal character's relationship with her daughter who's four and it struck me as I was reading it that, um, you know, there are heaps of books where um, the principal character is a single parent, mm-hmm. but this book really just illuminates this intensely loving and complicated relationship so perfectly. I mean, it's just a work of 
actual beauty. Anyway, the book's very gripping. It's got a really the story moves along. Um, but that is the thing that for me was the the most beautiful thing. The mother child relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah, it's. I must say, it is gripping me as I'm um, sort of starting it. So I'm just wishing I had a bit more time to get into it. I did finish Enduring Love, which oh. I was reading last time we spoke. Ian McEwan. Yeah. Look, I really enjoyed that. I felt like it sort of lost it in the final. Um, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 pages, I suddenly ah. lost interest in it and it just didn't grip me right. quite so much. And yeah, I think when it, I think yeah. about that book, I definitely think about the first half of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah something something happened. I mean, I don't want to go too deep into it because I don't want to have spoilers, but it was very intriguing and it kept getting sort of twisted tighter and tighter and then there was a, a certain moment where I thought – oh, my God, am I, have I been looking at this yeah. one way and it's actually, you know, something entirely different? And then it became clear that, um, oh, no, it wasn't something entirely different and then it sort of felt like it, it felt like the balloon sinking to earth, actually, that, you know, it starts off with a hot air balloon. It felt like, oh, it's just sort of fizzled a bit at, at this point. But nonetheless, I still just gigantically enjoyed it and I just, I mean, as, as discussed eight billion times on this podcast, just... Ian McEwan's skill at a writer. I was paying particular attention to the way that he he can divert from the action and sort of go into either somebody's internal thought process or to something that's happened historically yeah. and then pull it back around very, yeah. very neatly. Or it'll seem like a diversion, like the character we're talking about, some, you know, botanic research and then it somehow fits in brilliantly with the plot like it's just it's so tight sometimes with Ian McEwan I like to kind of picture the people that he's sat next to at dinner like over the preceding two years like because you know how you get these pockets of deep knowledge yeah. about something you think hang on a minute you sat next to a botanist didn't yeah you? totally <laughs> or Saturday a surgeon yeah he must yeah. he must do a deep research dive I think yeah. um, because he, he often will have a topic that he then sort of is right into right so uh, like with the child in time it's like education policy or, yeah. or, and um, the children act it's kind of you know, legal stuff yeah yeah, yeah. um anyway it was i just i enjoyed Maybe it you should invite ian McEwan around for dinner and then there'll be like a storyline about this ginger you know current affairs <laughs> presenter <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is but there's also there's the tiniest like i enjoy ian McEwan's voice because i find it sort of witty oh, and here we go here we go <laughs> The mighty sales is about to drop. However, <laughs> Ian, I do I'm think, always, I'm I do always think. so scared that from you know past history that you know somehow Ian McEwan's oh, going to get. That man's not listening to us. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, he, he's just got because he's so sort of effortlessly bright. There's a tiny tone of the sort of condescendingness yeah. in his voice. <laughs> do you think? Totally. Do you hear it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. It's a tiny sort of tiny tiny hint of superiority that I don't I, I can't quite put my finger on because it's not that the characters are superior no. it, it literally is it's like this sort of just gloss of superiority is over it and so I think well am I just putting that on it myself because it's the quality of the writing that's so impressive and so therefore I feel inferior so I think that he's being superior or is there some actual note of him being condescending or superior in the writing well I think find it difficult to get to that level of um, proficiency in writing and, and not just be a little bit show-offy. I mean, like, there's a certain, yeah, I you guess. know, it's like sort of watching Jimi Hendrix 
player's guitar kind of yeah. smashed off his dial or something. Like you just think, well, your body just does this now. Like you can, yeah, And I thought, true. like when I read that book of his called Nutshell a few years ago, which was um, – you know, narrated by a fetus. Yeah, I couldn't even. Who's read also that. Hamlet? <laughs> I just thought, mate, look in the mirror and take something yeah, off. Yeah, I couldn't even read that because it, it seemed to me so conceited. It's, it's the concept of it. That, I mean, you know, I still loved it. I hated myself for liking it, but I, I still liked it. But I did, did think. Come on, dude. The last one of his that I I started reading Solar, but I didn't like it. The last book of his that I read that I really liked was The Children Act. Yeah, well, that was incredible. I really yeah, enjoyed that too. Really fantastic. I told you, God, here's me about to launch into a story that I'm sure. I, just stop me if I've told you this on the podcast before. Oh, look, yeah. screw it. I haven't told you for at least three years, so I'm going to tell you again. My favourite kind of awkward moment. Um, with a visiting writer story actually involves Ian McEwan, who came to the Sydney Writers' Festival, ooh, I don't know, years ago, like maybe 2008 or nine, like maybe before that even. Um, anyway, <laughs> this is a great story about he's, you know, at this function, maybe it's the opening night thing or whatever, and um, he's being sort of squired around the place by some handler from, you know, um, Handlers are us. The handlers are us. And, you know, this is the awkward thing about international writers' festivals. You don't necessarily know what the staggering geniuses all look like, so it's absolutely awkward. Anyway, and the person who was looking after McEwen was like, oh, who can I – I need to introduce this him to somebody kind of um, – influential or important and so there's the shadow minister for the arts loitering around <laughs> and apparently you know they were brought together and um the poor politician had um obviously no idea who he was and you know this is Ian McEwen oh great lovely to meet you Ian and are you a writer yes <laughs> oh fabulous um fiction or non-fiction uh fiction uh, great, fantastic. Anything I would have heard of? You know, just like, <laughs> well, meanwhile, the poor handler is just, you know, presumably just pouring strychnine down their own throat. Anyway, I love it. I love it. Wouldn't it be sort of, I would think it would be maybe pleasant for Ian McEwen to meet somebody who had no idea who Really, he the was. man who wrote a fetus Hamlet novel <laughs> would like not to be recognised? Okay. I'm interested by your thought processes. I'm not convinced. Oh, man, oh, that is um, dude. Yeah, that anyway, is um, I'm loath to get off the topic of single parenting because yes. I have created a little through line in my head to the next book that I I've read yeah. some great books lately. I'm feeling Hit me, really. I've read nothing. So I'm feeling very uh, invigorated. You yes. Know, I go through these slumps yep. and then I go through like, yep. oh, I'm just watching television for a bit. Yep. I'm reading. Great. Hit me. Uh, which is weird because I'm also sort of busy, but I'm, yeah, I'm really cracking on. Um, so, um, it's a new book by an author called Lisa Harding called Bright Burning Things. And it is the story of, um, a woman called Sonia and her little boy called Tommy. And she, I think, is is nothing to do with or has been left by Tommy's dad. They live in an um, apartment by themselves and Sonia has got a rip-roaring drinking problem. Mm-hmm. And so the first part of the book is, you know, it, it it's Sonia's story and you're inside their little world where from her perspective it's the two of them battling all the jerks, you know, like the concerned lady who lives across the um, street and... Um, people who stop her in a park saying, look, should your son really be out, you know, jumping in the lake at 10pm or, you know, that sort of thing. She How thinks, old's the kid? Well, he's tiny. He's like four or five. Oh, okay. Um, and so 
then it becomes a transition from how she sees the world to how other people see her. And it, so it's really quite a precise examination of addiction and how it kind of warps your perspective. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it's really good. I kind of um, picked it up and then um, I've never heard of Lisa Harding and I don't know if she's if this is her first novel, but she um, – it's really – it's. Very gripping and um, really intriguing. Is it set in Australia or what's it, where is it? No, I think it's set in the UK. God, that's a really good question. I And do you know what? I don't really know. Um, it's not really one that is pinned on anything except for the world of this apartment and, right. um, and what they do. So it's not really clear where it's set, I don't think. Right. Here's where my attention to detail will be shown up because, you know, there'll be like a line every two pages like, they stroll past the Sydney Harbour Bridge, but <laughs> really, it's just it's really about this little universe of the relationship, and then subsequently her attempts to you know um, to get sober and right. the effect you know on on her child and her, her relationships. Oh, anyway, good. yeah, yeah, it's really powerful. I think it'll be I think it'll be big. I don't know. Um, and to complete the trilogy of parenting, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually read this before it was published, um, and I think it's now out, but um, Daisy Turnbull has written, this is Malcolm Turnbull's daughter, don't want to classify her like that, but she's a teacher and educator in her own right, and she um, has written this really interesting book called 50 Risks to Take with Your Kids. And so it's like a parenting book, um, but it's not. it doesn't purport to be a comprehensive parenting book. It, it looks at the idea of risk and anxiety and the things that you kind of, your instincts as a sort of uh, well-educated helicopter parent urge you not to do and it gently encourages you to um, find things to do that incorporate a certain capacity um, uh, of, of risk but helps your kid to kind of like grow and to kind of Experiment. I think that is an excellent idea for a book, and I've I've got it at home too. And I was thrilled to be able to read something mm. on this topic by somebody who works in education, mm. <laughs> because I just feel like you know I constantly I, I totally accept um, there is a balance between you know not cloistering yep. kids too much, but yep. then also not letting them take too many risks. And I know myself, for example, when I have my kids at the park, my smallest child. He's never seen a piece of equipment that he well, wants Well, he's very to... shy. He's very timid, that kid. Yeah. <laughs> never Hates s- to put himself in harm's way, I've noticed. He's never my seen... First, my, one of my fondest memories of your your younger son is going to a big pool and we were standing around as parents and he was like, what, two, two, two and a half? Tops. And we turned around to see him bomb into the pool yelling, <laughs> watch this, ladies! <laughs> oh, my God. He just pretty much walks into a playground, surveys the landscape, just barrels up to the nearest person, introduces himself, starts playing, and he never has seen a piece of equipment that he would deign to use in the way that it was designed. Yeah. So if there's a slippery slide that's like one of those enclosed tunnel you go things, up it, yeah. yeah, you go up it on the outside. You don't yeah. go down it in the on the inside of it. So he's the kind of person in a playground that, my natural instinct is to be just walking around behind him yeah. going, get off there, don't climb on that, don't do this, get yeah. it. And what I end up having to do a fair bit of the time is to try to not actually look at what he's doing because otherwise I would be just constantly 
you know, helicoptering over him the entire time. So now I try to restrain myself to getting involved if it's properly dangerous, like it's been raining and he's climbing on the top <laughs> on the outside of a... <laughs> like if he's holding a flamethrower and a cigarette lighter. <laughs> and juggling knives. <laughs> <laughs> and a baby... <laughs> That he's grabbed from a pram. <laughs> then I go, look, put the baby down at least. But Keep the going other, with the flamethrower. But... The other thing that I liked about this book, and you're right, that sort of firm hand clasp of expertise where you know that oh, this yeah. person is a fully trained yeah. educator, um, is also that it's just it's not written in that kind of awful baby language of, like not baby no. language, but you know that kind of like mm, when mums and bubs get together, they yeah. just, you know, like, ah! Yeah. No, it's, um, just, it's good. So it's kind of written for grown-ups and it's kind of rational and it's also, I mean, she shares a bit about her own parenting experience as well but not in a kind of cloying way. It's just like a proper grown-up book and I, I feel like there's not that many books around in that tone. Like yeah. I read it and just thought, well, this is sensible. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I, I found it practical and useful. I'm no, you liked it because it made your, you know, your <laughs> public danger child seem, you know, acceptable. That's what, <laughs> Do you know what he said to me? Love you. He said to me the other morning, um, he was just being sort of grumpy and cross at me. And I said, Oh, don't you love your mummy anymore? And he went, Yes, but you're just not as much fun as you used to be. Oh, Oh my God. Well, I look forward to seeing him on the High Court or in prison. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be one or the other. He'll be a shock jock, I reckon. Really? He'll be a shock jock. (laughs) Shock jock. Oh, my God, I'm raising Andrew Bolt. Yes, you oh are. Oh, God. I'm afraid you may be. Dear me. Anyway, 50 anyway. risks to take with your kids. Yeah, it's um, terrific. Called. I, I enjoyed it very much. Um, literally the only other thing that I've read is a book that I read for work by Bill Gates called oh, How yeah. to Avoid a Climate Disaster. He's yep. written a book about climate change. Yeah. Um, it's, it's <laughs> this sounds stupid, but it's climate change for dummies. If you sort of just want to understand where things oh, are okay. up to and yeah. what the options are, it was the clearest, most concise, excellent explanation of just everything from how we got here to where we're going and not very long, not very verbose. I, I recommend it for that. I thought it was a really well-written, very accessible book and I thought, oh, that could be a book that I, you know, consult again. Oh, okay. I don't know so how much he you interviewed wrote. him, Clang? Yeah. I don't know how much he actually wrote, but oh. <laughs> if, you just, if you just feel like, you know, I just want to get a sensible middle-of-the-road grip on this by somebody who's just a concerned citizen effectively not not a um he's not coming at it from any political kind of thing so I found it just um really instructive and useful so what do you think his target audience is people who uninformed um, blunderers such as yourself yeah maybe people that sort of think um okay climate change is clearly a bit of a worry I don't really know that much about it I'm a bit um annoyed by just how it's become so politicized and you know, I don't know whether to believe yeah. all of the doomsdayers, but I certainly don't believe all of the deniers. So what's the reality? It's it's probably for people like that where he, he basically says, you know, I'm a smart guy. I've spent some time having a look at this. Here are the actual facts. This is a proper serious problem and we have to do something about it or here's what's going to happen. And then he's also very honest in saying, this is not going to be easy. This is going to be actually quite hard and it's going to require some really big changes. Yeah. And so, but, but he's very honest about saying we have to find, say in terms of electricity and energy and so forth, we, we have to have clean, reliable and cheap power because mm. you can't ask people um, to do things if you can't find ways to make them yeah. cheap. Mm. So he talks about, for example, he still flies around in his private jet, but he pays, I think, something like 
three times the cost of regular fuel so that he can have clean fuel and offset his flight. Right, okay. I so, might do that with my jet, actually. That's exactly. a really good idea. <laughs> and so he, he makes the point, like, of course, not everyone's as rich as he is. Yeah. And so he says, like, people can't be expected to do that. Yeah. I do it because I'm absolutely loaded. But the, the regular person, if we can't find a way to make clean um, fuel reliable and cheap, it's not going to work. So this is what we have to do. So it's very pragmatic, but it also doesn't mince words about, yeah. don't be thinking that this is a challenge that, oh, we'll just work it out. We won't. It's really, really problematic. Mm. Um, on that note too, i just reminded of a, a book by an Australian writer, which is also very good on this subject, um, just about practicality and how you approach the issue. Rebecca Huntley, I think it was last year, late last year, published a book called How to Talk About Climate Change, which oh, is, yeah. now she's on the left of politics, obviously she's got kind of some links to the ALP, but she is predominantly a kind of social researcher. Um, and it's a really interesting book because it's kind of about, you know, in Australia we're in this situation where um, the debate or the discussion on climate is just sort of insanely um, bifurcated. Yeah. Like it's just more Ridiculous. than, you know, the UK, for instance, which, you know, dealt with um, coal um many years ago, very memorably, thanks Maggie Thatcher, um, who wasn't loved for it at the time. Um, but she has written this book about how to talk about the issue, you know, without immediately sending your barbecue into a kind of um, uh, sharpened objects at 10 paces kind of thing, which is a really right. useful thing. I thought it was a good, really good contribution um, okay. and definitely worth a read if you're going to, you know, load up your shopping trolley with climate change books. That one's a really good one. Um can I keep going about yes, books? Um, yes. Because I <laughs> now you know that I have a terrible problem where people sort of say, "Oh my God, you're going to love this book," and I, so I then just don't read yes. it. Um, well, I um, recently picked up a book that about I don't know how many people have told me that I really need to read because I'll love, and it's a book called The Dictionary of Lost Words by yeah. Pip Williams. Yeah, and it's set in Oxford. Um, at the time of the composition of the Oxford Dictionary. Oh. And the principal character is a girl and her dad is, is occupied. It a, a novel? Yeah, it's a novel. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Um, and her dad is part of the team that's working on assembling the dictionary, right? right? And so they've got this um, process where they, they get um, they write a, a word on a slip of paper and they clip it to all of these little pages of notes of different testimonies they've had as to how the word is yeah. used in common usage. Anyway, as she goes along, she gets older, she notices that um, there's a whole other vocabulary of words that never makes the dictionary but is principally used by women and particularly poor women. And she starts kind of compiling this dictionary of words that will never get into the actual dictionary. Oh. That is, they are slang words and, you know, often kind of vulgar words. And she kind of nurses this alternate dictionary. And it turns into this sort of quite perceptive account of, you know, whose experiences get written down and whose experiences don't. Oh. It's it's really, it's an absolutely wonderful novel and I'm shocking, I'm shocked to say <laughs> that I really wish I'd read it earlier. <laughs> so thank you to everybody who recommended it. You were right and I was wrong. It's really good. Did you read The Surgeon of Crowthorn by Simon Winchester? No, because parent? people told me to read it and oh, so I didn't. Oh, okay, and yeah. so you didn't. Yeah, it's, Honestly, it's absolutely I mean, wonderful. Book. It's yeah. non-fiction though about the, about the actual writing of the Oxford English Dictionary. It's just absolutely fantastic. Um, and also in this sort of slightly historical vein, um, I 
also just read a book um, called The Imitator. It's newly out, I think, by mm-hmm. a woman called Rebecca Stafford. Mm-hmm. And it is a spy novel. Mm-hmm. It's about um, a woman who um, is working for the war office mm-hmm. um, in World War II. And she is, um, she kind of moves into this kind of like um, clandestine activity and um, some of the stuff that she's investigating comes to concern a wealthy family with whom she forged a connection when she was at boarding school when she was younger. So it's this absolute kind of very gripping, um, tense adventure about what she knows and what they know and um, her attempts to do the patriotic thing and what it costs her personally. Page turner? Oh, absolute page turner. And it is beautifully written as well. Um, I really loved it. And, um, you know, it just had a... like it, it had a whiff of the Americans, you know, that sort oh, great. of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. So look, I mean, all these books I'm feeling Have very you got a hard replete. copy of that one? I did, but I have given it away already. Sorry, mate. Too late. <gasps> hey, just speaking of books, as I was talking before about that book, Bright Burning Things by Lisa Harding, it occurred yep. to me that I read a review copy because I read it before it came out because one of the, like, insanely lovely perks about this podcast is that people sometimes send books before they're out. And I noticed a note on the back saying um, to be promoted through Chat 10 Looks 3. So I don't listen to the podcast, as you know, because I can't bear the sound of my own voice. So I don't know if that there's been an ad for that book um, in the podcast. If there has, um, I just wanted to like mention what our process is. We don't actually commission ads or we do we it have all an agency. at the you know at arm's length because it's more um, it's it's just the best way to do it so that we don't get kind of um, tangled and, up yeah and so there is no circumstance under which somebody says I'll advertise this book if you give it a good review like yeah we, we yeah. don't have any quid pro quo it's just complete fluke what gets on so yeah. the, so even though so, we say for example even though we've probably delivered oh no $150,000 worth of free advertising to Hamilton <laughs> we are not paid for that it's because we legitimately like Hamilton yes <laughs> although sure if you want to send a check you know do it but like yeah so just in case I mean if you hear you know if you ever hear a book that you know is advertised I mean sometimes I maybe they advertise it after we've talked about it or something I don't, I don't, know. I don't know but anyway that we're not organized enough to be running a scam of that um, that's magnitude. exactly right so literally <laughs> literally literally anything that you hear us talk about it means that we genuinely like it we're not getting kickbacks by and any you've from advertised your book and we haven't mentioned it sorry we didn't we really didn't know <laughs> Well, it's very uh, it's it's a, it's a tightly run organisation. Um, now speaking about plugs, there is yes. a plug that we do have to do though, a yeah, proper one. What for? Are you, have you caught up with Gwen's fabric? Oh yes. <laughs> okay. Oh man. So like, you know how Gwen is just? I mean, she is Bill Gates, right? She's she essentially is the, one of the most impressive human yeah. beings I've ever so, met. And she has an idea. See, I might have an idea. I think, oh, I should get around to doing that one day, and then I never do it, and then I die. Like that's my, that's my approach. But she's like, oh, we should do this. What do you think? And then the next minute, right? I've got three competitive bids from suppliers. I think we can make egg cups, or you know, <laughs> I mean, she's just crazy. Anyway, so she uh, a while back said, oh, we should make. Chat 10 looks three fabric. And both of us are like, uh-huh, 
oh, okay. Like, that just seems like I just go along with whatever Gwen says because yeah. it's always brilliant. We should just have a T-shirt that just says whatever Gwen says. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'd buy that. Exactly. Gwen, don't make those T-shirts. Anyway, so um, with the help of Kaz, who um, is a local fabric expert, she runs a group called um, a sewing school, I think, called Useful Box. She helped Gwen develop the fabric um, Gwen, I think, designed the design and Kaz helped with the weights. There's two different weights of fabric. It's this beautiful design that's got, like, cabbages and both of our pairs of glasses <laughs> and um, various other pretty things. And it's available in uh, cabbage noir or <laughs> cabbage seafoam. Seafoam, yep. Anyway, and Kaz came around to my house the other day and, like, walked me through on video things that you could do with the fabric, different uses for each weight of fabric. Right. Anyway. So the heavy ones like your diabolical mum bag kind of fabric. Exactly. And the lighter ones, it's your a, sort of sexy undies. What? No. Oh, my God. Please promise me you won't do anything with this fabric. Actually, <laughs> what you should do, Chatters, is just make um, Lee something. No. And send it in. No. Because she loves that. No. Just do not. A dirndl would not. be lovely. <laughs> do not. Anyway, it's literally coming off the boat somewhere and Gwen is, you know, meeting it and snipping it into lengths. And it's, and it's dishing it out so you can all it's turn yourselves. Already out. In fact, I think quite a lot of it has already sold. So maybe She's this might be a bit of a... Dishing it out so you can all turn yourselves into the Von Chat family. Yeah, the Von Chat family singers. I can't wait. Um, yeah. So oh, if which, you want... Speaking of which... Does that mean... Sorry, if people who are listening to this want some, do they just go to the just Chat 10 the website? Shop. Oh, yeah. Chat 10 website, click on shop. Run and then, walk. Um, yeah. And um, the Von Chat family singers may become... Uh, an issue for you this year because um, we are looking at doing some more live shows depending yes. on how things – we are sticking our toe in the water. We've got a couple of bookings around the place. We'll be putting out some sort of save the dates, I don't know, in the next month or so. But everybody, we will absolutely pull the pin if there's even a whiff of, you know – social, uh, you know, public health issue or whatever. So yeah, and that's just, why we're not – the tickets will go on sale probably pretty close soon to before the time. Each date, just yeah, so just because we got people. a bit burned last year by – there was a Brisbane show that we had to cancel yeah. at last minute and then it's just we feel terrible and everyone yeah. has to get their money back and so it becomes a big yeah. thing. So we've yeah. got – we do have dates sort of plugged in but um, we'll just let you know about them as we go. Um, speaking of things coming back on post-COVID, yeah. oh, I was so happy I went to the Sydney Symphony Orchestra for their first oh, okay. season gig of 2021, which was at, they're at Town Hall at the moment because the concert hall is being renovated. Oh, it was just, you know, the moment that I was most looking forward to and it was actually my favourite moment of the evening and I, I always love this moment every any time I see an orchestra. Um, I just love the sound when everyone starts tuning up. <gasps> Me too. I was about to say that's the yeah. best bit, right? It's and just, then you it, hear just this sort of the, rustle the, in the audience and then yeah, just... Yeah, just the anticipation yeah. and the sound yeah. of it um, is really fantastic and then, you know, when it sort of, then it pauses and then the concertmaster comes oh. out, the conductor or, or whoever it is. It, tap, it is. And... Um, yeah, that did just felt really fantastic. That's just me doing the tap tap. That's with my <laughs> Kilometrico pen on my phone, although it doesn't sound as authoritative as the real thing. So yeah, it was just wonderful, and they sounded great. And I just, it just at the moment because you know we haven't had any of that stuff for a while, it, it feels like you're just really in the moment appreciating things when you go to them. So yeah. it was great. Oh well, that's well nice done, place to end. You know we're out of time, right? Oh I my mean, god! Yeah, we really are. Okay, great. We've been going on and on. You shut up. <laughs> Ten four.